What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is Jonathan doesn't like to watch the trailers Strickland. I mean, you cut me to the quick, but it's all true. <laughs> Hi, Ariel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, I'm good. I, I have another question for you besides how are you? So here's your question. All right, Ariel, you've been called up to be in a tag team wrestling match. You're going up against the current champions, and your partner can be anyone, real or fictional. Who do you pick? I mean, like, gut reaction would be the Hulk. Um, but, like, I'm worried for my opponents if that's <laughs> the case. Um, no, they are very bad people. You don't need to be worried about them. Okay, then then the Hulk. You know, I'm going to go with my gut, the Hulk. He's one of my favorite superheroes. I like how he smashes things. And and he has experience in fighting in arena-style matchups. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. How's about you? Squirrel Girl. I feel like that's like your answer for... I mean, it's, it's you, you automatically win, right? Like, Maybe. I don't have to do anything. Squirrel Girl will beat 
everybody, the referee, the other team, the the crowd. I don't know. She's she's gotten rabid. I mean, I don't know how she does it. She just does it, right? I'm not <laughs> here to tell Squirrel Girl how to do her thing. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just here to collect the gold belt at the end of the match and, so that I have something, you know, a really nice accessory, and then I got to figure out what I'm going to do with it. Uh, hang it on your wall with all of your other... All my other accoutrement that's behind me? Yes, yes, which uh, no, none of our listeners can see, but there's a couple of Welcome to Night Vale posters and a Minecraft torch and some ukuleles, uh, among yeah, other and a, things. A pride flag. A pride and, flag. <laughs> a poster with me on it. <laughs> <laughs> All I can see is like a little bit of your white shoulder, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tech stuff poster. Well, we have some cool geeky stuff to talk about this week, some stuff that... Uh, uh, we're excited about one of those being a new Shang-Chi trailer where, uh, you know, we, we saw the teaser a couple of months ago and uh, I really dug the teaser. I thought it was effective and gave a kind of cool uh, overview of what some of the movie was about without giving away too much. This new trailer, we get a little bit more. We get a lot more backstory about yeah. uh, the relationship between Shang-Chi and his father. Yeah, and a little bit with his mom. Um, I guess because it's the backstory, it just didn't get grab me quite as much as the initial teaser did. Um, but then in reading the articles about the trailer that came out, I realized that uh, the abomination from the Ed Norton Hulk is in it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we had heard that Ed Norton, uh, uh, or not Ed Norton, I'm sorry, that Tim Roth, who played Abomination, that he was going to come back. And, mm-hmm. and play Abomination in She-Hulk. So it may very well be that we have Tim Roth in, uh, in, in Shang-Chi as well, or at least the Abomination version of that character. Also, yeah. did, you, did you notice who Abomination was fighting? I didn't. I just assumed it was Shang-Chi. No, it's not Shang-Chi. It's a sorcerer. It's one of the sorcerers. And it, in fact, it might be one that we've seen before because he, he's... It? He's got the the golden uh, discs up. Oh, is it um, Benedict Wong? <laughs> yes, that's who I think it is. Okay. That's just me thinking that that's because we don't get a, a real look at his face in the short little snippet we see in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it looks like there's sort of a tournament kind of thing going on. And those are two of the uh, the participants in the tournament. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm sorry, I can't remember his character's name. I just remember the actor's name. Um, although now it is hitting me how very funny it is to have two Benedicts and Doctor Strange. Yes, <laughs> but it's it, it looks cool. I think I think this is neat. It's got like it's clearly got a lot of fantastical elements to it. I mean, there's a lot of sort mm-hmm. of wushu kind of like the uh, uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon sort of feel to some of it. Uh, there's some more of the kind of classic Marvel adventure action stuff wrapped in there. So, uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this all shakes out. It looks, it looks good to me. I mean, I, it's interesting cause it's another one of those characters that I don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to kind of go into it, you know, largely without preconceptions. Yeah, the the Marvel movies about the characters who I have very little pre-existing investment in seem to have the most reward for me in general. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is the same way. So, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. And, uh, you know, 
uh, we also learn more about the Ten Rings, which is something that's been talked about since the first Iron Man movie. So that's also kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing Sauron in there, and uh... not not those rings. Oh, drat. We should probably move on to something else. We should. Uh, so our next story is another trailer. Uh, last week, prior to our episode, Jonathan and I were like, oh, we're not going to talk about trailers too much because you guys can't really see them. So we will post links to the articles and the trailers in our show notes if you haven't seen them already and want to check them out at www.largenerdrunklighter.com. But uh, there were too many good ones to talk about this week. And so Apple TV is doing an adaptation of Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Yeah, uh, the Foundation series uh, started off as a series of short stories that Isaac Asimov published or wrote and had published in the 1940s and 50s. And it follows sort of the the course of a galactic empire that's in decline and how characters are attempting to salvage what they can in order to to minimize the impact of that decline, uh, largely through the the efforts of a uh, mathematician who has sort of predicted this downfall by just looking at the math of it, kind of looking, it's sort of like the law of big numbers, you know, looking at these huge patterns and, and discovering that the actual galactic empire is itself about to fall apart, uh, which gets them into some hot water with the, the rulers of the galactic empire. The trailer makes it look way more action oriented than the stories were. The stories were kind of more like, socio-political kind mm-hmm. of stories. They weren't like, you know, pew pew laser stories, but it looks like we're going to get some pew pew laser action in the foundation, uh, 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 series there. Yeah. We knew they were going to take some liberties. Uh, I know I showed this to my mom cause she loves the foundation series and she was like, well, I don't remember that being the story. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I feel like sometimes we've talked about it before adaptations, make for a better viewing experience when they move a little further away from the source material, make yeah. it more cinematic. I mean, honestly, like if you were to tell me somehow I had managed to, to be ignorant of the fact that there was a foundation series being made. Anyway, if you had told me that that was happening, I would have said, but why? Because <laughs> it, it, because I wouldn't think of it as being something particularly filmable. So yeah. I'm not like, up in arms about the changes. I think that they're probably necessary in order to tell a dramatic story. Like it's the story's interesting just on its own, but I don't think of it as being the kind of interesting that's going to attract a sci-fi loving viewership. Right. So, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I'm not sure if I'm going to actually dig this one. Honestly, I don't have Apple plus yet, which is mm-hmm. what this series is on. But considering what we're about to talk about in a second, I have a feeling that maybe I'll end up getting Apple Plus and have yet another streaming service I got to deal with. I mean, I might buy Apple Plus for like a month to watch this and the other thing we're about to talk about. The thing with this, the reason why you probably missed it originally, it was going to be on Netflix and then it got delayed and then it got picked up by Apple TV. So, Oh, interesting. And Netflix is not known for letting stuff get away. So that is interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think they changed writers as well, but I'm not certain. Oh, mm, you know, it may be, and maybe in that process, that's where we started to see a kind of a, a further departure from the way the story was originally told in the book and the short stories. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we'll take a look and see. Uh, it, it's, I'm always happy to see more sort of prestige science fiction come out, right? Like it's, it's nice to see stuff that is beyond just the, the kitschy and goofy sci-fi. Not that I don't like that. I love kitschy and goofy sci-fi too, but it's fun to see things that are, they they kind of span the gap between the kitschy, goofy, fun SF and the super duper serious, heavy SF, you know, like there's, yeah, you know, there's, there's some room in the middle there. And I think this kind of takes that space. I agree on the super kitschy side of things. Although I'm, guess it's not technically science fiction uh apple plus is also giving us a show called schmigadoon yeah uh which yes is a play on brigadoon it's cecily strong from saturday night live who is one of my favorite comedians on the show and Mm -hmm. keegan michael key as a couple who gets stuck in a musical town so it very much feels to me and then they have to deal with their relationship. So to me, it feels like Gallivant meets the good place. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation. That you know, you see in the trailer that uh, that that Strong and Key are kind of bickering a bit. Like it's clear that their relationship is at a place where th- they're not particularly happy with where it is. Then they stumble upon this idyllic town where everyone is singing for some reason, and they realize they cannot leave. Um, and I agree. I, I think uh, I, I think Gallivant uh, is a really good comparison. It feels like it has that sort of cheeky, self-aware sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. And it, obviously there's actually actual references to musicals in the trailer, both oh, yeah. references like direct references where the characters are talking about musicals as well as uh, within the songs. Uh, there's a song they sing about Schmigadoon that is clearly a very loose parody of Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and beyond that, uh, they've cast a lot of big Broadway names in it. Alan Cumming, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, Jane Krakowski, and Martin Short, uh, among others. They also have Aaron, Aaron Tveit. <laughs> yes, Aaron Tveit. Uh, and then Fred Armisen, who I honestly have no idea if he's done anything on... Uh, Broadway at all, but he's a very funny man. So yeah, and he, I mean, he's done like musical stuff on on shows like Portlandia, but he hasn't mm-hmm. done, as far as I know, he hasn't really done a lot of like stage musicals on like the big stage. But yeah, it's it's uh, you know seeing Alan Cumming in there. I mean, he's seeing Alan Cumming in anything. He's he's one of my favorite performers to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks demented as heck in that trailer and I am here for it. I will say, isn't that just kind of his usual MO though? I mean, yeah. I mean, you could, you could probably make that argument and you could probably back it up, but I don't care. He does it well. (laughs) Kristen Chenoweth though, is not really necessarily playing to the, like I I always associate her with as Galinda from Mm -hmm. wicked, right? Cause she originated the role Uh, in this. It looks like she's playing the lead of a, a group of, um, older women who are all kind of uh, the the dour um, judges of 
mm-hmm. various members of society. They made me think of the characters from The Music Man. The, the, one, pick, the, the Pick-A-Littles? Yeah. Or whatever they're yeah, Pick-A-Little, Talk-A-Little. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of them a lot. Like, and because and, there's a point where she turns and says, can I get a cackle? And I'm like, yeah, this is that's very much in the line of that kind of character. Yeah. So I have a feeling that this is a show or this is this is a pro- production rather that um, that people who love musicals, particularly like classic musicals, are really going to get a lot out of. It looked like it was definitely more of a throwback to the that classic era of musicals like Oklahoma, yeah. like The Music Man, not so much, you know, Spring Awakening or Dear Evan Hansen or something mm-hmm. like that. And Lorne Michaels is actually executive producing this. So that's also a little fun. Probably. Yeah. It's in Fred Armisen's in it. <laughs> uh, our next story is about something that's not brand new, but rather something that came out earlier this year that then changed, which is WandaVision's post credit scene in its, in its uh, series finale. Now, in case you have not watched WandaVision, what's wrong with you? Pause this and go watch it. <laughs> we can wait until you get back. Yes. We are going to talk about the post credit scene at the end of the final episode, which, you know, depending on your point of view, has some spoilers in it. I would say it definitely has spoilers in it. Unless you've already seen it. There's at least one big one, right? <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. so the scene that we're talking about, the way it plays out in the original clip is that you've got this swooping shot, probably a drone shot, that's just going over a uh, a remote lake. And there's a cabin at the end of the lake. It's in front of a couple of trees. There's appears to be like a duck or something in the lake in front of it. And the camera swoops down. You see that uh, Wanda is sitting out on the porch, uh, sipping a cup of tea. She's just kind of wearing sweats, you know, nothing special. She gets up and starts to walk into the cabin. We follow her in, but instead of staying with her, we take a turn to a different room. And there we see Wanda as the astral version of the Scarlet Witch floating in midair, using magic to read the Darkhold, a very powerful, very dangerous magical book in the Marvel universe that she gets earlier in the series. Yes. And then she glances up. Uh, as as you hear her children crying out in some form or fashion. And that's it. And then now, if you were to watch WandaVision, you'll still get the sequence I just described, but certain things are different now. I mean, mainly they've just made the area that she's staying in look a little healthier, which I'm I'm not entirely sure why. And then there's this like weird... Somebody pointed it out on TikTok. And it's, we talked about last week how people are are like sometimes focus on the Easter eggs more than the story. And this is one of those instances because there's just like this like discoloration that stays the same shape and grows slightly larger as uh, they pan in on the cabin where Wanda's staying. And a lot of people think that it could be Doctor Strange. I've had some, I've, I've read that some people also think it might be uh, Vision. I, I have another I have another possibility for you, Ariel. You sure. ready for me to destroy your world? It's just a mess up in the CGI. So here's here's the deal. If you watch the original post credit sequence, there is no uh-huh. little blurry bit in that in that no. corner, right? That's new, that new in the new version. However, if you also watch the original sequence, 
When the camera starts to zoom in on the cabin, you can see through a window of the cabin a little bit of light, and it looks like it might have been a monitor, like a uh, like perhaps a monitor for the film crew. And mm -hmm. the guess I've seen is that what has happened is someone created a little digital overlay to block that so that the light, so you didn't see that light anymore, so that it didn't have that mistake in there. But they forgot to re to you know they essentially just overlaid over the entire shot, not just that little mm -hmm. bit. So that blur you're seeing is actually the little patch, essentially, that was applied to make that light go away. So it, it's literally nothing more than an artifact from an attempted fix of something else and mm -hmm. is not indicative of any other character's uh, presence. However, that being said, when you see Wanda floating there and reading from the Darkhold, the music that plays is the Doctor Strange theme, and they yep. actually have a credit for the Doctor Strange theme at the end of the episode now. That was also added in. That was added in, but I think that's also uh, just because she's going to be in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, well, but I, I'm thinking that it might be something where that sequence ends up being added into the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and that uh, we see Strange appear at that sequence similar to how we saw Strange interact with Thor um, at the end of a, of, of a movie. And then we saw that full sequence later in a different movie. Yeah. Uh, and we do know that Dr. Strange at one point was supposed to make an appearance in WandaVision, mm -hmm. but that didn't work out. Yeah. They cut it out because they, they didn't want to detract from Wanda's story or growth um, or capabilities. I, I do find it interesting that that little one that Disney is usually very, um, very detailed that they would have left that in and two that it is kind of person shaped though. It doesn't move. It is just a static shape the entire time. Yeah. That's why I um, think that that's why I think it's a mistake and that we'll probably get a third <laughs> version of this post credit scene where they go in and remove it again. Yeah. But I've also read that people are saying that this is Loki working with the TVA and that, his going through the Loki series is causing changes to the WandaVerse, which is a really cool theory, but I just don't, I don't see how going back and changing something like that super on the down low would really benefit Disney's or Marvel's storytelling. Yeah. I mean, now granted, if you end up finding out that they start making changes to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier too, this could be the most brilliant guerrilla marketing ever. Yeah. Yeah, but it would also be really weird. I mean, it would also bump up their views because people would have to go back and watch a second time. And then they'd probably go, oh, let me just watch the entire series. You yeah. know, I, I I think you you are probably right in your summation. It's just a, a patch that they put on and forgot to take out, though. Again, I'm surprised at them for forgetting to take it out. But uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out or if they go, oh, yeah, let's make this something. Yeah, you never know. Like sometimes these do become opportunities for filmmakers to say mm -hmm. like, well, that was a mistake, but we could go ahead and make it a thing that we did, quote unquote, on purpose. So, yeah, yeah. we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, someone else who's taking an opportunity is Amazon and Neil Gaiman because they are coming out with a season two of Good Omens, which I don't think very many people suspected would happen at all. 
No, I, I certainly didn't because season, first of all, we didn't know it was going to be a season of Good Omens at all, right? We just thought mm-hmm. this is a mini series adaptation of a book, which has an ending. And the miniseries ended where the book did. But now we're going to get a season two. We don't know many details about it other than that Michael Sheenan and, and uh, David Tennant are coming back to reprise their roles. Um, very interesting to see. Like, I'm apparently Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett were talking about a potential sequel to Good Omens when they wrote the first book, but it just yeah. never quite happened. So, uh, I'm really curious about this. I, it, I honestly did not expect it at all. Neither did most of our friends who all flipped out when they found out it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman kind of talked about it to, to lay that groundwork. Not that Neil Gaiman couldn't write something brilliant on his own, but it is really such a collaborative effort. Um, I just hope that they really finalize their story for it before they start filming because the saddest thing to me would be for them to bring these characters back and then not have a strong story. Yeah. I mean, Neil Gaiman is pretty reliable, but I feel the same way, right? Because like American gods kind of got a little off track for lots of reasons. Not, I mean, it wasn't necessarily script related, but that, that became kind of a nightmare scenario with like a revolving door situation as far as people behind the scenes. And so you definitely don't want to see something like that happen. Uh, but those characters were so much fun. So I really do look forward to seeing them do more stuff. As do I, as do I. And speaking of characters, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of our favorite villains uh, because the the recent Cruella movie got us thinking about it. So we're going to do that in a few minutes. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. 
That's PACASO.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Okay, so uh, Ariel and I both like playing bad guys. Yes, we do. (laughs) Playing bad guys is fun. It is. You and I both have a background at working at at places like the Renaissance Festival where uh, those kind of performances are very much over the top. It's not the kind of like subtle performance you would expect and say a television show or a movie. It's much, much bigger, which means that we tend to gravitate toward more uh, colorful and flamboyant and big choice villains. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that my list, I certainly have a few that fall into that category. Um, So let's talk a bit about them and and I'll I'll start because I've got two that I think go right hand in hand or hand and hook as it were <laughs> um, Captain Hook being one and Doc Terminus from Pete's Dragon the original Pete's Dragon oh, being yes. another because um, both of these characters are are, are, are kind of sh- they're show offs right like they're they are somewhat flamboyant and mm-hmm. um, they both of them have like very fancy layered costumes and they have this this air of aristocracy, kind of like like they should be uh, in a much higher position than they are. And they believe that wholeheartedly. And it's just because of circumstance that they find themselves in slightly less mm-hmm. uh, lofty places. And I just find them both. They, they both feel like they're kind of um, uh, hucksters or, or con men. I mean, Doc Terminus certainly is. He's a snake oil salesman. Um, And uh, those are two characters that I used as sort of uh, models when I was creating my Lord Admiral character for the Renaissance Festival is that those kind of characteristics and mannerisms. I took a lot from those characters uh, to kind of make this this uh, villain who's very full of himself and lacks any (laughs) self-awareness. Yeah, I mean, I tend to like that as well, although I veer a little away from the flamboyant and more to like the the suave, the charming mm-hmm. villain. Uh, so like for me, great charming villains that are still a little bit boisterous would be like Ursula from the little mermaid, which I know you also like her as a villain. We've talked about yeah. how she might be one of the few Disney villains. We'd really like a backstory for, um, you know, I guess captain hook would be another one though. Again, I kind of know his story already. And then like old school Riddler, like the old Adam West, Batman Riddler, is one of my favorite villains of all time. He's just, um, 
I don't like the new Riddler where he's so dark and, and very Zodiac killer. I, I like that old school suave. Uh, again, I'm above it all, so I can kind of laugh at the situation sort of a character. I guess mm-hmm. uh, the way they've changed Baron Zemo in Falcon and Winter Soldier, he would also fall into that category. I wasn't a huge fan of him in, in Winter Soldier, in Captain America Winter Soldier, but I did like him in Falcon and Winter Soldier, so... Yeah, uh, that was that felt like a retcon type of approach to that particular character, mm-hmm. uh, especially like everyone has seen the memes of him doing the little dance move in, in Madripoor. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, everyone wants that coat of his. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Like, so some of the some of the villains I like are not terribly effective, but they're very comedic, like Lex Luthor in the uh, the. Superman film from the late 1970s. So played by Gene Hackman. He runs the gamut of effective to non-effective, depending I on mean, what his, version you're looking at. His whole plan is to use explosives to make part of California break off so that the, the worthless desert land he has will become beachfront property and that will make him <laughs> wealthy. That's his plan in Superman. It is a dumb plan. It's reflective of the way Superman and DC comics were in the, you know, in parts of the sixties and seventies, they started to get a little campy. Now in the seventies, they also kind of took another turn and started to go really dark again. But the Superman film was still very much kind of tapping into that same energy of the Batman television series of that sort of campiness Mm -hmm. and silliness. So your villain wasn't particularly menacing. I mean, he does, at one point attempt to drown Superman by, you know, putting a, a, a chain with a, a big piece of kryptonite on it around his neck. But it's uh he doesn't come across as particularly uh, menacing through most of the movie. He's he's really more again, someone who has a much higher opinion of himself than anyone else does, with maybe the possible exception of Otis, his goofy sidekick. Mm hmm. Yeah, but more than that for me, what makes a a really good villain uh, is someone who has a grounded reason for being a villain and then also very genuinely believes that they're making the world a better place for at least some people based on that and and not selfishly. So like, like, if you look at Thanos from the Marvel movies, and I hate to keep going back to Marvel because I don't always think they do villains well, but I think they've done a couple villains well. Thanos, Cassilius from Doctor Strange. Thanos really believed that he was benefiting the universe. He thought he was being selfless in his acts to save people he had to sacrifice some people. And to me, the really interesting villains always have that sort of approach of, look, I'm actually trying to make things better. It's just we've gotten to a point where we have to do this to make things better. I always find that very deep. Well, and you've got, you've also got the vulture on your list, which is another Mm -hmm. great example because that's a character who also had uh, a strong justification for behaving the way he did because he was cheated out of what he had been promised and he had no recourse. He he had no, no legitimate way to turn to have his, his situation corrected. And so when when presented with no alternative, he ends up turning to crime. And, uh, you know, again, it's he's presented in such a way 
that you feel you're probably going to feel at least a little sympathy toward him. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Keaton does a great job playing that character. He, he's not like the warm fuzzy villain, but you, you sit there and say like, no, I can see where his point of view is. I mean, like, um, Killmonger was another great example mm-hmm. of a character who had a very strong, um, motivation that was hard to disagree with. It's interesting though, because I, and I totally agree that giving villains motivations and explanations for why they are the way they are. And you can understand their point of view. Uh, it make, makes them more complex and you, you identify more with them and it makes them more interesting. But oddly enough, a lot of my favorites are far more simplistic. They take almost that fairy tale approach of this is a bad guy, right? Like it's not this, this person thinks that they're in the right and they'll do anything they, that uh, they can in order to achieve their goals. It's more like this person is bad. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, maybe it's because I'm just like the simplicity of it. Whereas like in real life, we know there's so many different shades of gray and it's kind of terrifying to think that some of the people who say some of the worst things you've ever heard truly believe those things and think that they're in the right for saying them. So it almost feels better when you're like seeing someone who, who is evil and they like acknowledge it. Like that's part of their, that's part of their, their self identity. Um, so like even characters like Joker from, um, the dark Knight uh, series where, you, you know, Heath Ledger's version of Joker, where that that's a character who is sort of chaos personified and doesn't it, you you get you get lies about his background like he when he's explaining where he gets his scars you can't trust anything he says because he says something different every time um to me like that was interesting because i don't need to know what his motivations are uh i mean yeah. granted the the film joker did that anyway but i don't need to know um for him to be an effective villain for me I mean, I get that. And and definitely in the real world level of things, that is, it is an upsetting thought to believe that some of the things that some people say, they think they're really correct and making the world a better place when, you know, from the outside looking in, you can say, oh, that's horrible. Um, if I can separate the fantasy from the reality, that's when I like it. But I, what I will say, and I know I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. If you make a simple fairy tale villain, I don't need you to make them sympathetic later on. Like yes. Maleficent or Cruella. From what I understand, that movie is other than having the lead character have the black and white hair and having her two henchmen have the same hench people have the same name, like I it seems like it doesn't really have anything to do it kind of feels like it retcons her entire story. Right. Like it's like the character from 101 Dalmatians is not remotely the same character as Cruella from the Cruella film. Uh, you know, I, and these, these sort of things frustrate me because at that point I would say like, well, why, why didn't they just make a movie, um, about a character without making that character Cruella, uh, to tell the story because otherwise you've got this weird disconnect and you could have a really good story. Now I get it the name recognition is the big part of it, right? The fact that people are like, Oh, I want to see how Cruella became Cruella. Well, it's a bait and switch. Cause you don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that how I felt about Smallville? I felt Smallville kept setting things up where it was winking to the audience about, look how clever we are. Lex Luthor just said, our friendship is going to be the stuff of legends to Clark. Like, Oh, we know what that means. And they kept setting things up that 
as someone who knows about Superman, you already know what the payoff's going to be, but then they never pay it off. And you're like, well, now that's now that's not even a setup anymore. That's I mean, just something someone said. <laughs> I think I only watched the first two or three seasons of Smallville. I you, I never you got out when the getting was good. I was say I, I never got to the end. I assumed they paid it off. I know that they made Lex Luthor uh, bald, so I just assumed that that would be payoff. Um, no, no, it was it was just bad. It was just it, it was there were a lot of little moments where they were hinting at things. And then they subvert it later on. Mm-hmm. And to me, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it where you're setting things up and you're telling the audience, go with us. You're going to find out how we go from this to that thing you love and then subvert it and say, oh, actually, we're not going to that thing you love. We're going to something different. Like, I, I feel like that's disingenuous. It kind of gets off the, the path of villains. But Lex Luthor plays a really big part in that. Um, yeah, but yeah, like I, I, I think, I think, you know, you can have very scary villains that are very effective. Like again, when it comes to scary ones, one of the ones I like a lot is, uh, is Mike Myers from the Halloween mm-hmm. movies, which in the scripts was just referred to as the shape because it wasn't even a character so much as sort of a, a force of chaotic nature. Um, kind of like the shark and jaws. Well, I've got the alien from alien listed as, as almost more of a force of nature. It's doing what mm. it does. So it, it, to us, it acts villainous. I actually kind of, I, I didn't put down the, the shark from jaws or many animals. I, I, I know when people list all time favorite villains, the shark from jaws comes up often or the dinosaurs in Jurassic park or whatnot. But to me, like alien doesn't really count, but animals, it's hard for me to view them as villains. Right. Because right. they're doing what they do. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of why, like, I would say that Myers in the Halloween films falls more on the animal side than on the villain side, because he's never given any kind of humanity unless you try and watch the terrible mm-hmm. Rob Zombie version, which I <laughs> recommend you do not do. Oh, so, yeah, interesting. Won't. Like, don't worry. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting to see the kind of stuff that we find makes effective villains. I'm curious if our listeners have like certain aspects that they associate with a really good villain, like what makes a really compelling or interesting or entertaining villain. And I Mm -hmm. recommend that you guys write to us and let us know. And we'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode, but we have something else we have to do before we get to the end. um, Besides take a quick break. And that is to do our mashup, which we will do after we take this quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. So, Ariel, uh, what are the two properties we're mashing up today? Well, we're mashing up. I did mention uh, dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And uh, so we're doing Jurassic Park. And then we got a news story. We got actually a bunch of musical news stories this week. We weren't able to cover them all, but one of them is that Harry Connick Jr. is going to be playing uh, Mr. Daddy Warbucks. He's going to be playing Warbucks. Mr. Daddy Warbucks. Mr. Daddy Oliver Warbucks in uh, Annie Live, the next installment of Why Are They Putting a Musical on TV for Us, which is actually a little bit um, rude of me to say. I didn't mind the whiz at all. Uh, I just think they haven't found quite the right formula yet, but then. Over the pandemic, we had a whole bunch of the shows must go on, and I've enjoyed some of those. So um, I'm just being snarky. Anyhow, yeah, he's going to be in it. Uh, Taraji P. Henson's going to be Miss Hannigan. Uh, I think that's great casting, and I will watch it because I like Annie and I like those actors, and I think they're both very talented performers and singers. I'm deeply so, offended that they didn't reach out to me to be Rooster. I, I mean, I would love to be Rooster's girlfriend, whose name I cannot remember at the moment. Because she's oh. a hilarious character. She's Saint a hilariously Regis. small character. Yeah, I'd like to be her. I wouldn't mind being Miss Hannigan, but I think Taraji P. Henson could. She's way more ta- of a talented singer than I. So, uh, Well, and, and so for those who don't know, just to give you a quick uh, rundown, Annie is, of course, the musical adaptation of Little Orphan Annie. Story about a, a precocious, rambunctious young orphaned girl who ends up 
be falling to the care of a billionaire, Daddy Warbucks. Um, bet you can't guess how he made his money. And uh, and and yeah, it's it's a long running. It was a long running comic strip and uh, a beloved musical that's had a couple of adaptations that are to lesser degrees beloved. And um, yeah, so that's going to be one of them. And of course, the other one's Jurassic Park. We've talked about it before. You should know what it is by this time. If not, dude reanimates dinosaurs in a park on an island and they run amok and then they make it back to the mainland and they run amok and then they reboot it all. Yeah. And then uh, apparently the military wants to attach lasers to them for some reason, which never made any sense. I mean, why would you want dinosaurs? Whatever. The military stuff in the dress, the new Jurassic World movies makes literally no sense whatsoever. Doesn't matter. In the second Jurassic World movie, I think they mix human DNA with the with with their big bad villain. If you count it as a villain dinosaur, their murderous dinosaur hybrid. So, yeah. So we are now doing our Annie and Jurassic Park mashups. And and I honestly don't know what to expect. Uh, Who would you like to go first, Ariel? Um, I'll I'll go. I'll go first. Uh, Okay, go for it. Don't expect much. This is little orphan Ali Aramis. Um, like, yeah, this is the closest I could find to Annie. Okay, so little orphan Ali was left on the doorstep of the Hudson Street Orphanage when she was a baby, her only possession a locket with the image of a mysterious island on it. Life at the orphanage, run by the mean and drunk Miss Hardingen, is no fun. One day, Ali begins to feel odd. At first, Ali thinks she is just heartsick for her parents, but then she looks down and notices her skin is tough and discolored. Maybe it's from scrubbing the floor so much. When Miss Hardigan comes in to yell at the girls, Allie hides under some blankets to hide her skin condition, and this angers Miss Hardigan. She makes all the girls at the orphanage scrub the floors as punishment. To make scrubbing the floors a little less miserable, though, the girls break into song. It's a hard knock life for Scriggerow! <laughs> yes, that's my dinosaur impression. Before they could finish one stanza, little orphan Allie lets out a growl of pain from the singing and lunges in a blind rage at the other orphans, scaring them under their beds. Ashamed of her actions and afraid of what's going to happen to her, and saddened at ostracizing herself from her only friends, Allie hops a laundry chuck and escapes the orphanage. Left on the streets, Allie finds a stray dog who befriends her. At this point, not only have Allie's patches of skin become hard and bumpy and scaly, but her nails have grown very claw and talon-like, and the dog likes them for scritches. As the sun goes down and the full moon rises, Allie sings a song to comfort the dog and herself as they settle in for the night. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. Growl. Growl, 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 growl. Allie doesn't know why, but she can't sing anymore. She looks into a shop window nearby and sees that she has turned into a dinosaur. Frightened, she finds a corner of a dark alley to hide in and curls up with her dog to go to sleep. In the morning, she's awakened by some cops who have been looking for her and captured her to bring her back to the orphanage. She lunges to attack them, but then realizes she's just a little girl again so they bring her back to the orphanage and once back at the orphanage Allie has nowhere to hide and no one to turn to other than her dog who she has hid under her bed thankfully before long Grace Sattler assistant to the billionaire Alan Wargrant comes to the orphanage to find an orphan to treat to a nice Christmas it will help his image because he's a billionaire and that's what they do Grace sees how sad Allie is and chooses to bring her and her dog to the mansion 
It's beautiful, but Allie is ill at ease, and every night she locks herself in her room, secretly afraid of once more turning into a dinosaur. Ellen Wargrant, however, feels very drawn to the little orphan and offers to adopt her. This upsets Miss Hardingen, who sends her brother and his girlfriend to bring little Allie back. There's no reason that Allie should cause so much frustration and yet get the world. That evening, the brother and his gal arrive at the mansion, stating that they are little Allie's parents and start to take her home. But once they are back in their car with the orphan and heading back to the orphanage, Allie turns into a dinosaur and eats them. The next morning, little Allie is found on the doorstep of Wargrant's mansion. Wargrant once again offers to adopt the little orphan, Allie. Allie says she can't let him do that and then explains that she keeps turning into a dinosaur and that's dangerous and she cares too much for him. And then Wargrant tells her that he knows that. He then discloses that her father was Jonathan Hammond, and when Allie was a small baby, she was accidentally injected with dinosaur serum at his Jurassic Park, and so he hid her away in New York to protect her from scientists who wanted to keep her in a lab and study her. Wargrant had worked for Hammond at the park, and when Hammond passed away, Wargrant was charged to find and care for little Allie, but she got lost and ended up at the orphanage. Then Wargrant opened little Allie's locket to show her that the island in her locket was her home to prove his point. Allie, gladdened that someone knew her secret and still loved her, accepted the offer to become adopted and live with Grace and Alan. They gave Allie a great green enclosure to roam at night with lots of rare steak, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> I like how you mashed up names of characters. <laughs> Thank you. I do, I do like doing that when I get lazy or I'm in a corner. <laughs> well, here's mine. This one's called The Sauropods Out Tomorrow. Oh, I love it already. Daddy Warbucks has a problem. His business partner, John Hammond, is convinced that the new adventure park that the two plan to open is missing something, and the time for the official unveiling of the park is just around the corner. Suddenly we cut. We're now with Drs. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler on a fossil dig. Suddenly their dig is interrupted by an arriving helicopter, which blows dirt around, threatening some of the freshly uncovered fossils. Determined to find out what's going on, they head back to their campers and discover Hammond waiting for them. Hammond explains that he has a special adventure park, sort of a safari zoo type thing, and he needs Sattler and Grant to come and see it and sign off on it before he and Warbucks can open it to the public. He offers to pay their expenses for the dig for a further three years, and the two agree to go with him. We cut to a helicopter, and there's Hammond and Sattler and Grant, plus chaos mathematician Ian Malcolm in there. And the four head to this gorgeous tropical island where the helicopter lands and the, and the four transfer over to a jeep to go to the HQ to meet with Warbox. And on the way, they pass through a grassy field where Hammond brings the jeep to a stop. And the other three look in amazement as they see a giant young girl marching through the trees, which she (laughs) towers over. What the ever lovin', says Grant. That's Duffy Saurus, says Hammond. She's the biggest. The biggest what, says Sattler. Artificially enhanced dino orphan. Welcome to Orphan Park. The three exchange glances. Uh, what? says Malcolm. Spared no expense, says Hammond. Refusing to answer more questions for the time being, he has everyone piled back into the Jeep and drives on through an enormous pair of gates that have the park's logo on them, the silhouette of a curly-haired girl. Once at HQ, Hammond introduces the group to Daddy Warbucks. When I made my first million dollars, 
And back then, a million dollars was a lot of money. I promised myself that one day I would create a legacy. A legacy that would last well beyond my lifetime. This, dear friends, is that legacy, says Warbucks. A park with orphans in it, says Sattler. Not just any orphans, says Warbucks. Genetically engineered orphans. We spliced orphan DNA with frogs. That makes them special. The three visiting experts exchange glances and look really confused. There are clearly thousands of questions, but no one says anything right off the bat. I hear you've seen Duffysaurus, but we've got many more. There's Velocipepper. She's the toughest orphan. We've got Mollysaurus. She's the littlest orphan. And of course, there's Aniosaurus. She's, well, she's unique, says Warbucks. Suddenly, a red light on a console starts to flash and an alarm sounds. What's that? Says Dr. Grant. Nothing. It's, it's nothing, says Hammond. Warbucks has turned away to speak urgently to some scientists and he turns back and says, Hammond, you fool. The fences, they failed. Hammond turns very pale. Let's get you to your quarters, shall we? He says, trying to keep things under control. Before the three can protest, they're escorted rather forcefully to a jeep. We cut to the jungle, somewhere on the island, and we see Robert Muldoon, a kind of orphan wrangler. He's got his rifle out and he's stalking quietly through the jungle, and through the brush, he sees one of the loose orphans. Uh, let's say it's Tessie, who of course is crying a little bit, and he quietly raises the rifle up to take a shot to tranquilize the loose orphan, and then he hears it. Maybe far away, or maybe real nearby. <laughs> Clever girl, says Muldoon, and he turns and sees Aniosaurus pounce from the brush, tearing him limb from limb, musically. We cut back to our three experts. They're in the Jeep, which is rushing by a length of fence that's been torn down. The driver seems pretty tense as he tries to navigate to the quarters on the far side of the island. And in, a, in the way of the Jeep is a big felled tree, so he has to actually slow down. And boom, the ground shakes. Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm exchange glances. Boom. They look behind them. Boom. And out from the jungle comes the enraged Duffysaurus. Must go faster, must go faster, says Malcolm. The driver, panicking, bails from the jeep, only to get caught by Duffysaurus and chomped on, practically getting bitten in half. Sattler, she jumps into the driver's seat. She kicks the jeep into, into high gear, drives away from the enraged orphan, and the orphan tries to keep up. We cut back to Orphan Park HQ, where John Hammond is seeing his investment crumble before his eyes, and then he hears it. It's the hard knock life for you. It's the hard knock life for you. No one cares for you no more when you become a dinosaur. And suddenly a bunch of 18 inch tall orphans swarm the HQ, of course, spitting acidic poison as orphans do. Little girls, little girls, screams Hammond, and he is piled under this group of voracious orphans. Sattler's driving the Jeep back to where the helicopter is, and, and hurriedly, they all three get into the helicopter, Sattler, Grant, and Malcolm. And a moment later, they see Warbucks, who's rushing to get to the helicopter as well. So they open up the door for him, and they're calling him forward, but then they see from behind Warbucks something terrible, something fast and vicious and red-headed. 
Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll digest ya tomorrow, but I'm gonna chow down today, sings Ania Source in a terrifying display of precocious energy. Warbucks doesn't stand a chance. He is eviscerated. Malcolm, Grant, and Sattler take off in the helicopter, and despite the fact that none of them have a pilot's license, they still manage to, to take off and fly away from the island, which is left in chaos and show tunes, and that's exactly what it is like backstage during a production of Annie. The end. You are not incorrect, sir. Uh, <laughs> that was hilarious. I I was laughing so hard I was crying. Um, I tried not to do it directly into my microphone. That was brilliant. Also, I think a future mashup needs to be Annie with Muppets because uh, then you have Sattler and Warbucks. <laughs> Instead of Statler and Wal- Waldorf. Waldorf, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a fun one to do because once peek behind the curtain, Ariel told me uh, ahead of time that she was going to do one where she was going to essentially insert a dinosaur into the story of Annie. So I thought, well, that means I've got to bring Annie into the story of <laughs> Jurassic Park, and that's what turned into Orphan Park. Oh, but it was so brilliant. It was so brilliant. I want to watch that movie. Maybe the TV version, so I don't have to watch Annie eviscerating uh, Warbucks, but still. <laughs> what about poor Muldoon? I mean, he gets it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. That was that was a fun one. I can't I can't wait to see what our next mashup's gonna be. We always have fun like figuring out what two properties we want to do. And and usually we don't have any preconceived ideas about what that might be. So in this case, it was uh, definitely an act of exploration for the two of us. If you have suggestions for things we should mash up in the future, or let's say, you know, you want to tell us about your favorite villains or what makes a good villain, or you just have something else you want to chat with us about, you can send us a message. There are lots of ways to do that. You can send us an email for those more lengthy messages. Our email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com Yes, you can also reach out to us on social media on Twitters, we are LNC underscore podcast and on Facebook and Instagram, we are Large Nerdron Collider uh, so Yeah, send us those mashups, if we like them, we might read them on the air, send us your suggestions or just talk to us, we love conversing with you guys And of course, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you tell folks about it, let other people know about it, word of mouth is Usually one of the most effective ways of of podcasts getting new audiences. But uh, yeah, if you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcatching service you enjoy us on or endure us on, however you view it. We'll take either. We'll take either. Uh, And until next time, I have been little Ariel Casted. That's not true. I'm not little at all. (laughs) And I have... I have been Jonathan Passima Quaddy Strickland. <laughs> Is that a dinosaur or a location? Yes. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. 
Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. This show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.